0: All right. So I need to know who kind of we're hanging out with today. How many of you guys are, you love New Year's resolution? Anybody just love New Year's Nobody. Not one person. How many of you guys just hate New Year's resolutions? How many of you guys already lost this year? Like you're like 2020 wasn't my year, guys. 2021, this is it. <laughs> right? Like it's already, that ship sailed. In fact, it was around this time last year, I remember I made a New Year's resolution. And so this year, I'm going to keep my resolution, which is to fall through with my New Year's resolution, right? Like, I feel like that's often the case. Like, 2020, we're going to finally get to what we said we were going to do in 2010, amen? Right? And, <laughs> and I, I don't know about you. Like, I'm not a big New Year's resolution guy. Last year, I made one in my heart. I didn't say it out loud because I didn't want to be held accountable. Um, New Year's resolution, they kind of are the season of, like, confession, potentially. Like, I'm confessing to you. I want to do this would you actually help me do this? And so last year, I didn't tell anybody, but I really wanted to, and I didn't, run a marathon. That was last year. And so this year, I'm going to run a marathon. And, um, well, yeah, it's great, clap for, like, empty words. I mean, but for now, I believe it. Like, you have to understand, like, last year, I started so strong, I ran seven times between January and November last year. (laughs) And, like, that was legit. Like, I saw myself start really strong. January I ran four times. I didn't run again until July. I ran once in July. Um, And then I ran a couple of times in November, and I'm like, I'm out. This is dumb. And so this year I've decided I'm going to say it out loud in front of my family, in front of my friends. I'm going to run a marathon. Now, for the record, I still think running is dumb. Um, It makes no sense to me. Like, unless someone's chasing you or you have a ball in your hands or at your feet, there's no point. But I'm running. And so I've actually run between November and, or between Christmas, sorry, between Christmas and today, I've already run seven times. So that's like, I'm already there, guys. That's as much as I've run last year, like total. And yet I just think of running and whatever the goal is that God has for you, I think that New Year's gives opportunities to make new resolutions, to, to make commitments to maybe make some confession, to look back on the past and say, well, that's not how I wanted it to go. Maybe next year will be better. Maybe next year will be different. New years, new seasons. Honestly, as a church, we're stepping in to a brand new season as a church, and I'm super excited for it. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed, but I can be easily excitable. Um, I get fired up. I'm an eternal optimist, but I can tell you honestly, as a pastor here, I have never been more excited about what God's doing than I am right now stepping into 2020. I'm pumped, and the first Sunday of the year is often a vision Sunday for us. Um, It's time for us to look at who we are, at where we're coming from, at where God's taking us, and our vision at Vintage Grace this year is the same as it was last year, which is the same as it was five years ago when we planted our church. It's actually the same vision of the church that sent my wife and I up from Southern California. It is to build joy-filled communities of faith that's very existence, inspires every individual to live the abundant, joy-filled Christian life. That's who we are. It's what we're about. We're about two things. We're about building, not buildings. We're about building joyful communities of faith. You guys remember what that means? It's plural on purpose. Why? Because we're a church plant that believes that we're called to plant churches. That's our hope. Our hope when we moved here five and a half, six years ago almost, our church six years old next month, was that we would be not just a church, but a church that would plant churches, that would plant church. And we've been invited by the grace of God into that process with so many people And so that's our hope, that's kind of our corporate vision, to be not a church, but to be a joy-filled community of faith that launches other communities. The personal part of our vision is for you. Our hope as a church is that every time you are in a life group, that you are in your neighborhood, that you are in church, that you are inspired to fight for your joy, to fight for the joy that Jesus offers. That's our number one value as a church. We believe there's more joy in Jesus than anything or anyone else that this world has to offer. And so we we live out that joy in three key relationships. In fact, that's what a disciple is. When Jesus came to us, before he left this earth in Matthew 28, he gave the church a call. Do you remember what it was? It wasn't to be church planters. It was Matthew 28, go into the world and what? Make what? Disciples. Disciples. That's not a unique call to pastors. That's a call for all of us. And so our definition of a disciple is right here. It's living our cube. In fact, we use this, this picture here, this kind of triad. This is the goal. Where R1 meets R2 meets R3, and we think every one of us, if we love and follow Jesus, we're called to be a disciple. A disciple has a deepening relationship with God, a life-changing one with other believers, and an engaging one with the yet-to-believe. That's what a disciple is, and that's who we are. That's our focus in 2020, just like it was our focus in 2019 and every year building up. This is where we're going. Really, the only difference to Vintage 2.0 versus Vintage 1.0 is that we're not in a middle school anymore, Right? that we actually have space that God has entrusted to us, that we truly believe God has gifted us with. We feel like we've been in the middle of Vintage 1.5 right now. And by God's grace, come the end of May, we should be in Vintage 2.0 in that building over there. And the only difference is going to be, yeah, I mean, we're grateful. We're thankful. But the only difference is the space. That's it. Same three relationships, same three focuses, how do we step by God's grace and in faith into what God's calling us to? And so when I think about New Year's resolutions, often New Year's resolutions aren't new ideas, are they? They're kind of like recommitments to the right idea that we neglected for so long. And maybe today is a first step back for you. Maybe it's your first time at church in a long time. I want to say welcome. Welcome back on the journey. God never left you, but welcome back. He's for you. And so as we're here together, here's my summary segment. If you have your Bibles, turn to Haggai chapter 2. Look at Haggai 1 last week. Michael Hudson, he did the connect piece. He's on our staff. He did a great job walking through the text last week. Haggai 1 was last week. This week's Haggai 2. And next, we're going to go dive back into our series in Nehemiah. Now, Haggai comes right in the middle of that Ezra and Nehemiah series. So for those of you who haven't been with us, kind of remember how we've gotten here, right? God has the people, the people of Israel have lost their why. We say it this way, if you lose your why, you'll lose your way, right? And so the Israelites have lost their why. They have forgot about the glory of God. They forgot about living for his kingdom and not for their own. And so as a result, they've been in exile for 70 years. After 70 years in exile, God brings them back to Jerusalem. He brings them back to their land and he says, I am with you. I never left you. I never forsook you. I'm for you and I'm with you, but I want you to get your life in order, And so we're going to see Haggai now, chapter 2, where he kind of holds up a mirror. Here's the summary. New Year's resolutions aren't always new goals, but they're striving to get back to the important ones that we may have drifted from, we forgot about. And that's where the Israelites are. They've forgotten who their first love is, the way that Hosea says. And Haggai holds up a mirror, and he calls the people back to be who God's called them to be. If I could be really honest, and and again, I'm going to be, but part of the reason why I'm I'm choosing to run a marathon this year is because I hit a new record last year on the scale And I recognize this. When I go to the doctors for my physical, they're like, wow, you're growing and you're growing that way, right? Like, I think the weight's bringing me down. Like, I'm literally smaller than I used to be this way. So so in that, I think often our New Year's resolutions need to be rooted in reality. The scale revealed something to me that I go, ooh, I don't like that. I came back from sabbatical. I tried to put on shirts after eating all that Italian pasta, and they didn't fit anymore. In fact, I had to buy this shirt specially just for today, Right? (laughs) And here's the reality. Haggai shows a mirror to the Israelites. He shows this mirror and he says, is this what you want to look like? Is this what God's called you to? Does God have more for you? And the answer is yes. And that's true of you too. You're not with the Israelites coming out of captivity, but all of us are fighting for our joy in Jesus. And so as a result, Haggai holds up this mirror, calls the people back to be who God calls them to be. And here's the good news of the gospel. No matter how far you've wandered from God, no matter how many resolutions you've made to get right with him, he's right next to you. He hasn't left you. He's for you, and I love this, that God will accomplish his mission. He is faithful, and we are not. But he is good all the time, and he will be victorious. His glory will reign. So here's my hope for us this morning. My hope is that through Haggai, through the word, through our time in the sermon, we'll have a chance to look back on our past, To reflect, to learn, to look at our present, to say, is this where we wanna be, and to boldly step into our future? Because I do promise you, God has good for you this year. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, Haggai chapter 2, here's the text starting in verse 1. In the seventh month of the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetail, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say this, Who is left among you who saw the house, the old temple, in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, so fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So Lord of hosts, we come before you today, and we ask that you would speak through your prophet, through your word, Would you remove me from anything you don't want me to say? May I not be a stumbling block, but instead, may we see you. May we see your presence because you are here, and may you be glorified not just to us, but through us this week, we pray. And everybody said, amen. And and so it's important today that we do look back. I think it's important we look back at the past. Like, it was important for me that I don't let my 2019 define my 2020, because the reality is, if I wanted to run in 2019, that was really lame. Amen? Seven times? Here's the crazy thing. In these first seven runs that I'm on now since Christmas, I've actually run double the distance. That's how bad those first seven runs were last year, right? Like, but we can't let 2019 define us. But it's important that we look back. We can't ignore it because we don't get to 2020 unless we look back and say, how did we get here, right? And so for Haggai, how did they get here? The people were wandering. They lost their why. They lost their way. And now they're back And now here is the question, what do we do with that story that was written over there? It's not done. You know how I know your story's not done? Because you're here. He's not done with you. In fact, he's just in the middle, and it's important that we turn the page and say, so God, what's next? But before we go forward, let's go back. Let's see the past. Starting in chapter 2, verse 1, here's what Haggai says. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, here's what's cool. We don't always get this insight into sermons, but we know the exact date this sermon was given. 520 B.C. on October 17th. That's actually my daughter's birthday. How cool is that? I'll never forget Haggai's second sermon. So the first sermon was last week. This is the second one. It's all based on the Jewish calendar, which is lunar-focused, not solar-focused. And so for us, it doesn't line up perfectly, but this would have been October 17th and 520. So near the exact date that Haggai showed up, now as he shows up, he's, God says this, Haggai, go speak to Zerubbabel and to Joshua. These are the two key leaders of their day. So you got the leader of Jerusalem that's leading the charge back from exile. You also have the high priest, that's Joshua. But he says this message is not just for the spiritual elite, because they don't exist, first of all. He says, who's this message really for? You see the third audience? And write this and say this to all the remnant of the people. Everyone's coming back right now. This message is not for those of you who went to seminary. This is not a life group leadership message. This is a church of God message, every one of us. I don't care if you're a student. I don't care if you're new to faith. I don't care if you've been a Christian 40 years. This message is for you. And so what is that message? Well, the context matters. This is a time of partying. Now, I believe Vintage Grace, every Sunday should feel like a party. That's just for me. Why? Because we were dead in our sin, but God made us alive, and that makes us what? Happy. That's what we mean by more joy in Jesus. We were far from God, but God was never far from us. He brings us back. And that's what we see for the Israelites. They did three core feasts in their life cycle. So during their calendar, it was built around these three core feasts. There was Pentecost, right? You also have this feast. And both of these first feasts were in the front part of their calendar, okay? So you had the Feast of the Harvest, the Feast of Pentecost. And then you add the third and final feast, which would come at the very end of the year. October, September, depending on, again, the solar and the lunar cycle. And that was the Feast of Sukkot. So three core feasts. The first two, not everyone attended. Here's the reason why. Because they were in the middle of harvest. They were working. Only the really affluent people could go back to Jerusalem. So no matter how far they were scattered away from Jerusalem, three times a year, the law would call us to journey back to Jerusalem for this season and for these festivals. So the first two underattended, The last one, this one, maximum attendance. It was the end of the year people were done working harvest was already over and everyone came together there were four different names if you read the old testament of what this feast was all the same feast but four different references the first one was the in gathering so this is the end of the harvest they bring all their stuff they gather it together and they celebrate what they have to live off of now for the next year that was the same feast was the in gathering the other feast was called the feast Same feast, but it's like this. If you grew up in Jersey, I saw a Jersey boy out there earlier today. If you grew up in Jersey and you would say to your friend, hey, I want to go to the city, no one thought you meant Brooklyn. Everyone would say the city is Manhattan. That's the city. So when they say the feast, there were three, but the most important feast, the biggest, the best one was the last one. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. The third name that we call the feast, if you see through the Old Testament, is the season or the Feast of Joy. This is a happy time. This is a time of celebration. This is not the time, as a prophet, you want God to speak to you and say, go give bad news, right? Everyone's partying. Everyone's having fun. God has provided. He is with us. He is for us. And now Haggai shows up. The other fourth word we see for the feast is called tabernacle. Tabernacle means like a dwelling place. And so they're building an altar. They're building a new temple. They're building a space for the spirit to dwell. What they literally do in the feast of Sukkot is is they do this. They build temporary tabernacles, Another word you see in the Old Testament called the Feast of Booths. They build booths. Why? Because when they were in exile coming out of Egypt, remember what they did? They had nowhere to live. And so every day they would set up camp and they would build these booths. And so this was a festival for them as a people to look back on their past and say, God is faithful. God is good. God has never left us or forsook us. God is for us and he will not depart from us. And so the question for them right now, as he's saying this, is this is the season. It's a high season. It's a celebration season. But if you remember last week's sermon, chapter one, they weren't experiencing a whole lot of abundance, not in the temple. The temple laid in ruins. Their homes look good, but the temple laid in ruins. And so we see in verse three so who is left among you who saw the house, the temple of God, in its former day? And now remember, it was 66 years ago that the temple was destroyed. So the first temple, Solomon's temple, was big, it was beautiful, it was, it was lots of jewels and gold. This temple, not very special. Remember, it wasn't even done yet. It's actually been 16 to 18 years since they've been back from exile, and they still haven't finished the temple. They're still just looking at it, laying in ruins, and so here's what Haggai says. Who was in the past, so he's talking to really only people over 70, you old people who remember the temple how it used to be, that's what he's saying. How do you feel about this temple? How do you feel about it compared to its former glory? Do you see it now? Is it nothing in your eyes? Why does he say that? Because anybody remember Ezra chapter three? This was a sermon in September. Nope, nobody, I'll read it. Ezra chapter three, verse 12. I don't remember it. Ezra three, verse 12 says this, but many of the priests and the Levites, the heads of the father houses, those older gentlemen, old men who had seen the first temple, the first house, when this new temple, the foundation was laid and the altar was there, you remember everyone's throwing a party and there's these old guys in the corner, what are they doing? They're crying. They saw the first house and they wept with a loud voice because they saw the foundation house being laid and they said, This is going to be like nothing compared to how good we used to have it. Have you ever recognized that when we catch ourselves in comparison, it always leads to sin? You ever notice that? Comparison ends in sin for a reason. Why? Because it leads you to sin. Hooked on phonics and it worked for me, but I think it should be spelt this way, right? It's comparison. And so, you've got these people that God is inviting them into something new, and they're stuck in this old way saying, This is terrible. This is awful. It's not going to be like it used to be. Church, be very careful when we look in the past to not use it as a form of comparison, instead, use it as a form of celebrating God's faithfulness. When we think about comparison, it always ends in a sin. Is Facebook not a tool of Satan in your life sometimes? Amen. We just live in this world. Well, what about that? We used to have this. What, maybe I could be like that. Comparison doesn't lead you to trusting and treasuring God more, but often less. And so I love the way Charles Spurgeon says it this way in the context of comparison. The smallness of our gifts may lead us into temptation. We consciously are weak and so insignificant and comparing with the great God and his great cause that we can be discouraged and we think it vain to just do anything. And maybe that's for you this year. You're like, I can't do anything big this year, so I'm going to do nothing at all. The enemy contrasts our work with that of others and with that of those who have gone before us. We are doing so little compared to all these other people, therefore, let's just give up. We cannot build like Solomon, therefore, let's not build at all. That's part of what they're saying. We can't do it this next year, so let's just quit. Brethren, there is a falsehood in all of this, for in truth, nothing we could ever do would be worthy of God. This great work of others and even the amazing productions of Solomon, it all falls short of his glory. So when we look in the past, can I just guard your heart? Don't use it as a worm of comparison, because that does lead to sin. Instead, use a sign of saying, God, where have you been faithful? How can I see that? And if we see God's past faithfulness, then as we step into the present, I actually believe we can do that boldly. We do that boldly because we recognize that God is greater than all of our past, than all of our successes and all of our failures. And so today, my question is simply this. So what drives us today in our present? My hope is that you're looking in the past and seeing that he's faithful. Here's what the text says, verse four. Now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong who? Everybody. This is not a message for, for the leaders. It's a message for all of us. Be strong. How can we be strong? Have you noticed that the world is actually less certain this week than it was last week? Am I the only one that noticed that? I told you at Christmas, don't watch the news. Counterproductive, Right. It causes uncertainty, it unsettles our soul, and yet here's what Haggai the prophet says, your circumstances are not ideal, but your Jesus is. And he's in the middle of your circumstances. He has not left you. So what gives us confidence today is actually looking back at God's past faithfulness, amen? So here's what he says to Jeroboam, to Joshua, to all of you, he says, do work. Why does he say do work? Because God is fully sovereign, and he has given us full responsibility. Our fifth value as a church is we believe that we're called to embrace inevitable tensions. Inevitable tension is when the Bible says something to be true and something else to be true and it doesn't make sense in our mind. Like Jesus was fully God and fully man. How does that work? I don't know. That the Trinity is three in one. How does that work? I don't know. That God is fully sovereign and he chooses us but then he gives us free will to choose him. How does that work? I don't know. But that's called worship. If we could understand God fully, he wouldn't be very worthy of our praise, Would he? And so in this context, don't misunderstand this, what gives us confidence today is that God is sovereign, that he's in control, that nothing is happening outside of his plan. And so I love this. He says, God is sovereign. God is with you, for I am with you, declares the Lord. What gives us confidence today is the great I am, that he hasn't left us, that he's with us, that he's there too in the future waiting for us to join him in it. And yet what I love is he says, but do work. Don't be a fatalist. Don't say, well, God's already got it figured out. I'm just not gonna do anything. He says, church, rise up and work because I'm with you. Why have they stopped working? Because work is hard. That's why they've stopped working. It's been difficult. And so they literally quit for 16 years until Haggai the prophet steps in and says, guys, pick up your hammers, do work. I am with you. According to my word and the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, look back and remember that. Remember that I tell the truth. Remember that I haven't left you. You left me, but I stayed with you. I was with you through Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, so fear not. So don't misunderstand. We talk about this at Christmas as a the church. There is pain, there is suffering, and it's real, but God is for us and with us in the pain, and that's the best place to be is with him on that journey. And so in your presence, in your present state, where are you and what drives us to move forward? The fact that he is the great I am and that the future is coming. I mean, how many times have you heard the word Lord of hosts so far in the sermon? A ton, There's 38 verses in like this whole chunk of scripture. In 38 verses, you know how many times he says Lord of hosts? 14. You think he's got a point to make? Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts. In the past, that was true. In the present, it's true. And in the future, it will be true. So walk boldly. Church, thank you for being here on the first Sunday of the year. Come back next Sunday too. And the next one, and the next one, and let's fight for our joy every Monday, just like we do on Sundays. Why? Because the Lord of hosts is with us. Because the best is yet to come. Because no joke, I had someone already tell me, I'm done with my 2020 goals. And I'm like, that's amazing. He's like, oh no, I just quit. (laughs) Like, I'm done with them. Don't be done. God is waiting for you this month, this year. Don't be done. The Lord of hosts who is sovereign, who is with you, who is in control of all things, has not left you. Instead, he's inviting you into better things this year. And I do believe that 2020 offers us better things. It offers us opportunities to trust and to treasure. Now, again, it depends how how you define better, right? Like we say this way Vintage Grace, there's no bad news in the kingdom of God, right? Just news that God is using for his glory and for our good. And you're like, well, Drew, cancer is gonna happen to someone in our church this year. It is. Guarantee it. It's not because I'm a prophet. It's just because that's how life works. We live in a fallen, broken world. But God will be with you in the midst of that suffering, Amen. That he is the Lord of hosts so we can boldly step in to the future. And these Israelites, they're kind of upset right now. They're looking back at the, the first temple going, that was better. It was better back then. And then we actually miss what God has for us right now because we're stuck looking back then. Did you see that? So he says, boldly step into the future knowing that God is faithful. Now, I love what he does here because actually the second temple is going to be better than the first one. Have you ever had that in your life? You're in the middle of a trial or temptation and you're like, this stinks. This is awful. And God's like, I have something for you. I have something for you in the midst of this rubbish, and if all you do is complain, you're never actually going to see what I have for you. So here's what he says in verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come in and fill this house. Right now, the Israelites are complaining they don't have money to build the temple. Now, that's not totally true because they have money to make really nice houses. Remember last week's chapter, right? Right? They think that they don't have money to build the temple. And so they're saying, How's God going to pay for this? Here's what God says I'm going to pay for it. It's my bill. Your job is to be faithful. Your job is to be faithful to what I've given you and I've entrusted you with, but I'm going to pay for it. And he says, I'm actually going to pay for it in ways you don't understand. I'm going to use all the nations. Remember how God has been using Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, all these yet to believe kings, to actually build his temple? God is doing incredible things. The question is, do we see it? Do we recognize it? This new temple will be funded by the Jews, but it will also be funded by people that don't even trust Yahweh. That's incredible, but that's how God works. It's his economy, and one of the amazing things about the new temple is this. It'll be a temple for all nations. It'll be a temple for every tongue, for every tribe, for every nation. This is alluded to a, a prophecy that when Jesus came, he didn't just save the Jews. Who did Jesus come? He was the king of the Jews and the what? Gentiles. If you're a Jew, I love you. Thank you. I love Jews. You guys have a history and a heritage that you've given us, but most of us in this room are not Jews. We're Gentiles. Gentiles. How good of news is it that the gospel is not just for the Jews? That's great news. We get grafted in. We get adopted into the people of God. And so this new temple will be for not one nation, but for all nations. That we're all going to be a part of it. The second thing he says in verse 8, he says, The silver is mine, the glory is mine, declares the Lord of hosts, that God will give us all the provisions. In fact, if you think about it, God's just calling us to release what he's already entrusted us. That's what he's saying. God says, Look, I own all the silver. I own all the gold. It's mine. Do you trust me? And the answer is not enough. And yet we're called to trust him more, to trust him more fully this year. And so the Israelites are called to say, Just recognize that I, the Lord of hosts, will provide And he says this in verse nine. I've been telling you not to compare, not to look back, but make no mistake, look forward. It's actually gonna be better. Don't look back in comparison in a sinful way. Look forward in the way that trust that I'm doing something new and incredible. The latter glory of this house, the second temple, will actually be greater than the first temple, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. Why is the new temple better? Because according to the outside, the money, it doesn't look better. Why is this new temple better? This is the exact temple that Jesus will walk and talk and teach in. Because Jesus will be the new temple that will be destroyed and will raise again three days later like we just sang. Because Jesus is the one that's gonna give us a way back to the Father that every one of us needs. That's why this new temple will be better. That's what will provide us peace. And so what are the implications for us this morning? Haggai 2. This is the second sermon. You can go read the rest of the book. Sermons three and four are even shorter. You can read all the book in two chapters. It's great. But what are the implications from Haggai 1 and 2? Well, we as a church, I wanna start looking corporately Looking corporately into the future. Again, this is kind of Vision Sunday. We look at where God's taking us in 2020. We're launching a new initiative called Send 2020. And I'm super excited. Like I told you guys, I've been humbled to be on staff, but why am I so excited for this next year? Here's why. Because as I look back at God's past faithfulness over the last five and a half years, you know what I feel? Overwhelmed by God's goodness and his grace to us as a church. He has been so faithful and so good. And I look at the present today And I get fired up because I see people that don't come to church as consumers. I see men and women that want to be everyday missionaries. I see students that are living on mission at Oak Ridge. I see teachers that are living and teaching on mission. And I see plumbers that understand that they're really pastors of every house they walk into. That's what's happening at our church. And so our vision in 2020 is to not change any of that. But we have this acronym called SEN that we're going to use. And you're going to notice it doesn't look a whole lot different than the last five years. Why? Because it's not. The only big difference is that we're gonna have a new space to raise up more missionaries to go serve the city and to use this space to host our family and our friends. But it's all about R-Cubed. It's all about living a life that encourages generosity. Guys, I'd love to give you guys the quick update. We kind of pre-launched our SEND initiative. It won't actually start until February. But at the end of the year, someone came outside of Vintage Grace and gave us a $75,000 matching grant. Remember that? Well, church, you matched it. <laughs> It was incredible. No, no, you didn't match it. Like, you went way past it. And so end of the year giving, not only did we make budget this year, but above and beyond, because that's what SEND will be focused on, above and beyond giving, we already got a quarter of our goal for next year. We already have a quarter million dollars that came in. It was incredible. A year in giving, even the donor was like, wow, that was fast. In just those last three, four weeks, we were able to do that by God's grace. And so next year, we're gonna encourage generosity in the same way that we've always encouraged generosity, because God is good all the time. And so we're not there yet. We're again, we're a quarter of the way to our 2020 goal, and we're five days into 2020. How cool is that? And that's your guys' generosity. Thank you. Thank you for understanding that your time and your treasure and your talent is his. What else we're gonna do in send is we're gonna build the sending station, we're gonna encourage generosity, we're gonna nudge steps. We say it this way that we want every one of us at Vintage Grace to pray, watch, and what? Step. What is God inviting you into today? Every morning, wake up and pray that prayer. God, what do you have for me today? I want to step into that boldly because I know you're faithful in the past. I know you're with me in the present. I know you're going to be there in the future when I step into where you're taking me. And so, boldly, pray, watch, and step. I met someone at Christmas. It was so cool. I said, Hey, how'd you come to Christmas at Vintage Grace? They were like, Well, my neighbors made me brownies, so I had to come. (laughs) How cool is that? Guys, we're just praying and watching and stepping as a church. How do we live on mission? That's a personal thing the Spirit of God is speaking to you about if you're listening. If you're saying, God, what do you have for me today? The other thing we want to do is we want to make disciples. Again, that's our call as a church. When Jesus instituted the church, it wasn't to build buildings. It was to make disciples. That would make disciples, that make disciples. And who are the disciple makers at Vintage Grace? Who are the missionaries at Vintage Grace? It's you. It's we together. You understand why I'm so excited and humbled to be a pastor here? Because when we started Vintage Grace five and a half, almost six years ago, there were 30 of us that believed that. And look where God has us today which means I actually really do believe that we can make a difference in Cameron Park and in Rescue and in El Dorado Hills and in Sacramento and in Del Paso and everywhere God opens doors, we just pray, watch, and step. You step onto the baseball field, you step into the classroom, you step into your neighborhood, you step into your kitchen. God, what are you inviting me into? That's the implication for us as a church. As we consider the future, church, I've just never been more excited, and I know I'm excited. I know I'm normally excited, but guys, I actually believe that you believe there's more joy in Jesus, and your neighbors are watching, and your neighbors are wanting that joy that they're only going to get from him when they see it in you, and so I want to ask you to pull out your calendars. Again, as we think about Vision Sunday, there need to be some dates that you write down that you don't miss. Type these into your phone now. Put these there. Save these dates, because we're coming up on our sixth anniversary, and this will be the first time ever we've celebrated our anniversary on our anniversary. I've never done that as a married couple either, right? Like, (laughs) Your anniversary is just when you get around to celebrating it. Now, this year, the Sunday, the February 23rd, actually falls on our sixth anniversary because of leap year. So we're six years old. That's our anniversary. We launched the church February 23rd, 2014. And so six years later, where has God brought us? Since so there's gonna be a big party. I want every Sunday to feel like a big party, but that'll be a big party. But there's a pre-party coming up We're gonna be throwing that on Friday night. If you were here at Vintage in the good old days, you remember Friday nights fondly. We set up and tore down at Marina Middle School, metal chairs, carpet, the whole works. I think the carpet might still be down there. I don't know, underneath the stage, we'll see. And so here's the hope. For those of you that are a partner at Vintage Grace, we're gonna invite you to a dessert on Friday night in the new building. So February 21st is for partners. Now again, if you're like, well, what's a partner? Partner just means this. Do you give of your time, your treasure, and your talent at Vintage Grace? One of those three things. Ideally, all of those three things. Time being this, you're in a group. You're giving your time saying, I wanna get in a group, a small group, a life group. I wanna get in a group with other brothers and sisters to fight for my joy together. Treasure, you get treasure. You're investing financially. And then talent, how has God wired you and gifted you? And how do you use that for the kingdom? So you're either in a group or you're on a serve team or you're giving financially. That makes you a partner. My hope and prayer is that's all of you in this room. If it's not, I'd encourage you in 2020, take some of those steps. I don't know what that means for you. Group, treasure, time, treasure, talent. Take those steps for your joy. You're going to find more joy in Jesus when you give more back to him because it's all his, anyways. And so, Friday night, the 21st, pre party in the new building, we're going to tear down the gates. We're going to be going there. We'll get to pray over the new building. It's going to be a big party. 23rd, big party for our six at all services. And February 25th through the 27th is going to be the after party. We're calling that Send Week. That'll be Vintage Grace's version of Sukkot. Now, Sukkot is the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of Joy, the Feast of the gathering, The feast we were just talking about, on Super Bowl Sunday, when the Niners are playing that afternoon, in the morning, we're going <laughs> to gather here. So no evening service on Super Bowl, but Super Bowl Sunday morning, I'm going to be teaching on the Feast of the Tabernacles. So Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to talk about what it is, and then we're going to live it out that week of February. We're calling it Send Week. It'll be our version of Sukkot. And I'm so excited. We've got, we've got Ash Wednesday as a part of that week. We're going to actually build booths that week. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to celebrate. And you're like, wait, Drew, you want me to come to church five times in one week? Yes, I do. And, and you're like, that feels weird. No, it is super weird. We actually only want you to come to church once a week. Why? I want you to go live on mission out there most of the week. But the Israelites three times a year stopped everything they were doing to come back to Jerusalem for one week. I want us to do that as a church. What would it be like if we said, hey, we're actually not gonna go to sports this week. We're actually not gonna go do that other thing on Tuesday night. We're all gonna come together for five evenings to worship God. I get that it's five out of seven. I get it a lot. Take it up with Jesus. He wrote the law. (laughs) February 21st, February 23rd, February 27th, that's where we're going. So I'm just pumped. I'm so excited for where God's taking us and what we will learn, how we will grow as a church. So put those on your calendar. That's the corporate future. Right now, I want to take a moment to be more personal. What's your personal present plan? Have you heard that quote? That that if you fail to plan, you plan to what? Fail. So church, what are you going to do this year? What are you going to do? Maybe you hate New Year's resolutions. I do too. I don't care. But the reality is unless you make them and set them and tell someone about them, I promise it's not going to happen. I did not run a marathon last year by design. This year, I'm kind of stuck, I feel like. It's, It's public. It's loud. I made it there. So what is your plan? I want to share with you part of my plan for for Run, Drew, Run. (laughs) And so you can hashtag that. I don't know what this means. I'm still waiting to see what God's inviting me into with this. But here's what I can tell you, because I've started Run, Drew, Run as of today, and running is still dumb as of today. But I'm trusting God for what he's going to invite into, because running for me is a metaphor, because Paul makes it a metaphor for the journey of life for endurance. I'm I'm a CrossFitter, right? I do six-minute workouts, I was a baseball player, I run 90 feet at a time, that's it. Otherwise it's dumb, but I'm saying, God, what do you have for me? Because I actually don't think it's dumb. I really don't, I just don't think I like it because I weigh too much. And so yesterday I I went down to gold country. I signed up to be a part of a running club, you know why? Because I need it, because I don't know what I'm doing. Is that not true of us as a church? Why do we come to church? Because we need it, because we don't know what we're doing. And I told my wife, just drop me off. I'm gonna buy new shoes. She got me a gift card for Christmas. I'm gonna buy new shoes. I'm gonna run home. Because once she leaves, you're stuck. (laughs) Right? Like, you gotta get home somehow. By the way, going from gold country to my house, which is five miles up, it's awful. This hill is terrible. But I had these new shoes that I bought. You see my new shoes? And guess what? When you run uphill in those new shoes, you know what the hill feels like? A hill. (laughs) It's terrible. But the first mile, man, I crushed it yesterday. I remember in five miles, first mile, I was in the sevens. I laughed, because when I was a kid, I used to run way faster, but I was way skinnier. So that's what this tracker is. I've got an app now. I've got a map that I'm following. That's my little map there. Mile one, I was in the sevens. Mile two, three. Miles two and three stink. They get hard. No matter what shoes you're wearing, they were difficult. In fact, my times just kept getting, that's what the red means, you stink, you stink, you stink, right? Like, guys, that's true at church and spiritual journey, too. It's January. We're here. We're ready. But it's going to be hard still. It's still uphill. There's going to be trials and tragedies and temptations. We need each other. Mile four, look at this. I went from like awesome to two reds. I cut a minute off my time right there in mile four. You know why? Because I was on the boulevard and I just chose to start waving at everybody. It was so fun. I mean, I had so much community by myself with random people. It was awesome. I can't tell you how many wives were probably driving out with their husbands being like, who is that guy? I don't know but he's happy (laughs) guys we need each other mile five stunk again you know why because there was a turn at francisco and i wasn't on the road anymore and i was by myself church don't be by yourself this year don't do it we need each other we need community we need coaching we need to fight for our joy why because it is worth it because there is more joy in jesus and because the enemy wants us to quit but run drew run church don't quit so, I want to ask you this morning three questions. What's one thing this year you need to stop doing? Because there are things. Running will get easier when I eat less. That's what they tell me. What's one thing you need to stop? What's one thing this year you need to start? Like, you actually need to get in a group, you need to get coaching, you need to buy the shoes. What do you need to start this year that you didn't do last year? And what's one thing you need to keep doing? You know why? Because miles two and three stink. One thing you need to keep doing. And so church, I wanna give you space this morning to ask those questions. I wanna invite the ushers forward. We're gonna have communion as we kind of kick off this new decade. And in communion, I'm gonna pray over the elements and they're gonna get passed. And I want you to ask those three questions. God, what do I need to stop? What do I need to start? What do I need to keep doing? And I want you to not just ask those questions presently, but I want you to take this moment and look in the past and remember that God is good all the time and that all the time God is good, amen? Because there's gonna be trials and temptations this year. There's gonna be uphill climbs but we're with you, and even more so, he is with you. He is for you, and as you look back, you'll remember the seasons of your life that he never left you. You'll remember that he who knew no sin became your sin so that you might become his righteousness, and may that be the truth of your life in 2020. So Lord, as we receive these elements, we praise you. We ask you to give us this moment of reflection.